Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back, or shall I say I'm back. Julie is taking the day off because she has some dental issues with Miss Zoe's. No, Miss Zoe, no worries. She has no major dental problems, no cavities or nothing like that, just a normal cleaning. But Julie is there with Zoe at present. So you're stuck with me today. But the good news is I've got a really great topic for all of you. Um, and so I'm going to start out by setting this topic up with giving you the name of the podcast. And we're going to be doing this today and on the following podcast as well. So how to think big in a world that wants to keep you small. And I want you to think about that. How to think big in a world that wants to keep you small. And I want to tell you what spawned these series of points that I wrote down for all of you. It was a conversation I was having with somebody. And it was th- that very topic. Like, how do you know if you're thinking big? That's basically what we were saying. So how do you know if you're thinking big? And the answer that he gave me was, well, I will think what my goal is and I'll write down the goal and then I'll, fir- fig- I'll reverse engineer the goal and I'll figure out how, the, you know, how to go about accomplishing it, what the micro steps are. And that is the perfect formula for goal setting and goal accomplishing. But it wasn't answering the question. The question was, how do you know if you're thinking big, not how you go about setting a goal? And to which, after he said that, I suggested that the very fact that he knew how to reverse engineer and accomplish the goal that he set for himself was indicative of of the fact that he wasn't thinking big enough. He was thinking big. He was goal setting. He's figuring out how to go about accomplishing the goals, but he may not have been thinking large enough. And then the conversation got really interesting. And then I started writing things down that he and I were talking about. And that is what I'm going to share with all of you today. And a lot of these points we've talked about before in this podcast, or you guys have read in our book, Harris Rules. uh, But I think a lot of these are going to be things that are going to, if nothing else, Um, illuminate maybe where you have gotten stuck or slowed down or reinforce the behaviors that you already have and and maybe even embellish the path that you're already on. So that's really the objective of this series of thoughts. And there are, I think, 20 points here. So we'll get through maybe the first three or four. And these points, again, they're really designed to help you to start thinking big and then creating action plans around those big thoughts. But here's the first thought, and I shared this with you already, but I'm going to reinforce this. So if you're setting a goal, for example, and the goal, and we encourage you to set goals, the real estate treasure map is something that we give you for free. By the way, if you would want to download the new version of the real estate treasure map, which is our fill in the blank business plan, it costs you absolutely nothing. It's free for you to download. It's it's ready for you now. It's your fill in the blank business and life plan. Just text the word Harris, our last name, text the word Harris to 47372, text the word Harris to 47372. And when you do, we'll text you back a link. And then with that link, then you can download the real estate treasure map. Print this off. I believe it's 72 pages. This is not a lightweight business plan and start filling out, um, answering all the questions. It's basically a questions-based business plan. Goes through all your expenses, goes through all your personal expenses, your business expenses, all the things you're wanting to accomplish in your business and personal life. You'll have actually, if you uh, if you are um, you know married or you have a partner or whatnot, you definitely want to do this with them. If not, even with your family, if your kids are old enough to understand the process of goal setting and, and going through this uh, whole experience. And the best um, way of describing how you'll feel upon the completion of the podcast, or I'm sorry, of the uh, real estate treasure map is you'll feel confident. You'll feel like you actually have a proven path to accomplish your goals. 
and it because it's all going to be laid out right there in front of you. This is something we create for you. It's free. Just text the word Harris to 47372. Now, along those lines, here's the thought. When you're creating, and this, again, I'm going to repeat this. This is what he and I were talking about, and I think it's really important to set the stage for this. So it's normal and natural for, for people to set goals, which are essentially an evolution or the next natural step from the goals that they've already accomplished or close to accomplishing. And that's kind of an interesting, interesting thing, right? So everyone thinks it's one, one step, one foot in front of the other, in front of the other. But what if you could actually skip 10 steps or 20 steps? What if there was a way that you can uh, make it so that you're not just uh, progressing on your uh, life path, accomplishing more and more goals in a predictable manner? What if all of a sudden you like skip a generation? What if all of a sudden you become somebody that is uh, able to, you know, essentially be like a superhero when it comes to accomplishing goals? And let me give you guys an example. Um, so we're t when you talk about technologists and you talk about uh, people that have really changed society, there's no better example probably than Thomas Edison. And uh, I know you thought I was going to say Elon Musk. He's a good example too, and I'll reel him back in in a second. But if you look at somebody when you're trying to decide whether that person is really a big thinker, it's how you know Julie and I talk about this. Like make a list of the historical, really truly big evolutionary thinkers, people that have gone and created something that's uh, evolved our society, our, you know, humans to not just the next natural step, but five steps ahead of time. And the way to think about that is how many years did they shave off uh, having to uh, develop the technology? Again, Thomas Edison. So when Thomas Edison uh, made, created the technologies that he created, he was able to create technology that was essentially not able to be replicated for like events, he created uh, the telegraph and he created electricity and he created all these other types of things. But those things that he created, uh, what they're able to do is they're able to, able to leap, we're able to jump forward in the future it, with most of Thomas Edison's uh, inventions by like five years. In other words, for example, let me cite this up. So uh, you'll say Elon Musk is like that too, and I'm not disagreeing. But how many, what was the distance in time? How much time passed between Elon Musk coming out with an electric car and Chevy Volt coming out? A year basically. So what Elon Musk was, he was essentially thinking big at a scale of maybe a year, whereas Thomas Edison was like five years. And you can go all the way back down to you know, Da Vinci. He was able to create thoughts and put things and implement things that were so far in advance that you know you have to really wonder what, how he was able to create this thing that wasn't just the next thing that was supposed to be developed or evolved, but it was so far beyond that. And it's really fascinating when you go through, for example, Edison's old sketches. He was sketching back when everyone thought a horse was state-of-the-art, right? Riding a horse or maybe a carriage. He was actually coming up with uh, thoughts on how to create a motor vehicle. It, it wasn't Henry Ford. It wasn't, you know, Damler that created the first Mercedes, or at least conceived of the first Mercedes. It went all the way back to Da Vinci. Now, that's kind of amazing, don't you think? And so there's other technologists out there like that as well. But what I'm trying to make a point of is if Thomas Edison had been thinking, like most of us think with regards to goal setting, that I'm just going to take the next natural step, right? Maybe it would have been back when everyone was burning kerosene. That was the main source and, uh, you know, gases and things like that. Things were there that came from the earth. And if he thought, well, the next natural step to kerosene is going to be creating some kind of longer burning wick, or maybe it was some kind of, you know, something like that. In other words, he was just taking the existing technology, this, what was state of the art then, and he was just essentially trying to evolve it, make it just a tiny, tiny bit better. That's what most of us do when we're goal setting, but that is what he did. He said, I'm going to think far beyond anything that even exists. I'm going to conceive of something that people can't even believe will ever happen. I'm going to create a light bulb. 
I'm going to create something that's been, never existed that people will think are, is magic. They just don't. You guys get it? That's, that is thinking big. So when we think, when we set goals, all of us, Julie and I are, you know, included in this bucket as well. And you think, well, you know what? I'm in a, you know, a house that's nice. It's, you know, four bedrooms and two and a half baths. And maybe I want a house that's this, or maybe I want a house that's in a better location. Or that's what most of us do when we think of goal setting. Or goal setting might be, well, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. Well, what would be something that would be so beyond just saying I'm going to lose 20 pounds? Maybe it would be I'm going to run on the, I'm going to do the Ironman, right? Oh, I'm going to do the Ironman in 12 months. You see how immediately your brain goes to work and realizing that that really big goal is inspiring all kinds of new neuron, neurological pathways that were already there, but you weren't actually using. So that was kind of, so I'm going to start out with point number one. And these are kind of random and they're not necessarily in the best of orders, but I think these were, when Julie and I were writing these down for you guys this morning, this is the order in which it came out of our brains and it's probably pretty good. So point number one, and this one I think, I'll, let me explain before you discount it, all right? Because a lot of you guys, are. Is, this goes against the current zeitgeist, especially in the mindset, you know, self-improvement arena. So point number one is never share your goals with anybody. So again, the topic is how to think big in a world that wants to keep you small. Well, here's an interesting psychological, you guys can research this too. Psychological studies have been done on people that are goal setters. Goal setters are, you know, that's what most of us do this time of year and through the beginning of the year, we set goals for ourselves. But how many people actually accomplish their goals and why don't those people accomplish their goals? Now, there's some interesting questions, right? And so there's been a lot of studies and research that's been done on this. And one of the most common um, mistakes, or rather, let me frame it a different way. One of the most common elements of people that set goals and accomplish goals is they don't tell other people about those goals. Now, I'm going to say that again because it is definitely against, uh, you know, the current uh, belief structure about goal setting, right? Goal setting, you're supposed to post it on Instagram. You're supposed to do videos about it. You're supposed to have dream boards. You're supposed to walk around goal, you know, whatever. You're supposed to brag about what you're going to accomplish. So psychologically, here's what happens when you do that. When you go up to somebody and you say, uh, even your friends and your family, especially your friends and your family, and you're, you say, you know what, I'm going to lose 20 pounds. They're going to go, why? 20 pounds? You don't need to lose 20 pounds. Or they're going to say, or something like that. Well, that would be great. Congratulations. That's really, so what's happening is, is you are actually getting a, a little bit and sometimes a lot of the psychological payoff that you would have otherwise gotten had you actually accomplished the goal of losing 20 pounds. And what you're doing is you're essentially making it so that you no longer will have the, uh, the desire the motivation to accomplish the goal because you're already psychologically getting the payoff for having accomplished the goal because you're getting all this sort of, you know, unearned praise from friends who are just trying to be supportive. But there's another, there's a, a less, uh, the flip side to it is you might actually have people that try to rip your goals down. Maybe it's not weight. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's lifestyle. Maybe it's your relationship, whatever it is, right? So when you tell people about what your goals are, the first thing that most people are going to do in one way or subversive or, you know, supportive, they're going to tear those goals down. They're going to make it so that the probability of you accomplishing those goals goes to virtually to zero. So when they're, when they study, and again, we've talked about this in this podcast before, and it is quite interesting, but when you study people that aren't just goal setters, but goal accomplishers, that's one of the common elements. And I'll, here's the, I don't know how many of you guys, I remember when Julie and I were in Texas and we were going to Orange Theory all the time. There's not an Orange Theory here in Dorado, Puerto Rico. Um, we do go to the gym. But what's really fascinating at, in um, Dorado and at the Orange Theory was you would always see a big rush of people right around November, December, and certainly in January. And then, you know, all those people, maybe even more in February, to the point where at Orange Theory, it's hard to even get an appointment. Uh, but then what would happen? 
and we went there for a number of years. At around April or May, it was right back down to the way it was, you know, six months prior. So all those other people had decided they were going to go, they were going to commit to it, then they stopped doing it. Well, why does that happen? It's for the reasons that we're going to be sharing with you. Again, first one is don't share your goals with anybody. Keep those to yourself um, and don't be publicizing them. Don't look for support. Don't look for recognition for setting your goals. Just keep your mouth shut and keep the goals to yourself. That's just a psychological first step that will avoid potential, uh, you know, quote unquote, helpful advice from other people. The more people you tell, the less likely you are to accomplish the goal. Just remember that. Now, number two, and this one's kind of interesting too. And I might bounce around as I'm prone to do on this podcast. Number two, again, how to think big in a world that wants to keep you small. Actually, I'm going to do a little uh, drill down on that particular title, the reason I chose it. How to think big in a world that wants to keep you small. Does the world want to keep you small? How would you know if that's true? Here's how you know it's true. If you were rich, rich enough that you no longer had to work for your money, that your money was working for you, if you had enough financial abundance in your life, and look, you can, I know the word rich and all that has been demonized and all these tax the rich, the rich aren't paying their fair share, all this Mickey Mouse. And that's always been said forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and always will be. It's a way for politicians to get votes. It's just political. But some people succumb to it and they start to believe it because of the point I'm going to share with you in a second, because they actually start thinking it's true because they have confirmation bias from all the reinforcement of that crazy ass thought, which by the way, if you believe that rich people are rich because they took from somebody else in order to make themselves rich. If you believe that rich people are in essence, uh, you know, somehow, you know, a subspecies of humans, right? You know, and some of you do. What not that the very reason you're not rich? Because after all, you're probably in an environment where everyone else shares those same thoughts, probably listen to things that everyone, that, where everyone shares those same thoughts. It's always, you know, demonizing the rich. It's always making the rich, you know, they're trying to take from the little guy. The only reason the rich are rich is because somehow they took advantage of the worker and all these other, all this other sort of Marxist socialism, communism type things, right? Not trying to be political. I'm just trying to open your eyes. Okay. So if you believe that, or if you reinforce that, what are the probabilities of you actually accomplishing any form of financial security because you've actually uh, fooled yourself into believing those thoughts are true, where they actually are not? And I'm going to get to some actual facts about that um, maybe on uh, Monday's podcast. But lack of exposure, point number two. So lack of exposure is going to be one of the greatest killers of your potential. And um, it's so interesting. Julie and I are from you know, Columbus, Ohio. Met in high school, been married for 30 years this year. And I remember the first time, you know, Julie and I got married when we were in our early 20s, bought our first house when we were 22 and 23. And I remember when we had that first house, we lived in it for a little while. Everyone was congratulating us, even though the house was actually the garage was probably the same square footage as the house. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, anyway, so we decided, well, we are going to, we got into real estate, selling real estate. We leased a, a Mazda Millennium or something. This was back in the 90s. And we had some time that we wanted to really learn how to do real estate at a high level. So what we did is we um, figured out who some of the top producing agents were in the country. And this was before coaching. This was before shadowing, um, which is basically where you would show up and basically follow a top producer around all day. And guys, believe it or not, this was basically before the internet. Okay. So there you go. So what we did is we, and the, the biggest news media outlet for uh, real estate was the National Association of Realtors magazine. Okay. You get that every month. And that was like some sort of, you know, sacred thing that you'd look forward to. It was pretty cool. 
We then found out who the top producing agents were around the country. We then would contact them. Now, there was email, so we'd email them or we'd call them. By inter no internet, I mean no Google, right? No Zillow, no nothing like that. There was, it wasn't the, the retail internet wasn't out. People were still using dial-up, so that did exist. So then we found out who these people were. Some of them were receptive to, we had to pay them, to us paying them usually $2,500 to spend a day with them and they'd give us all their systems. And, you know, Julie and I were very, you know, young and we we're very, uh, uh, essentially we wanted to know how to save time. And we weren't going to find anybody in our local market that was thinking as big as some of these people were in California or in Florida and New York. And we met some others that were in just different parts of the country. I mean, we wanted to find the agents that were selling not just like, 50 homes or 75 homes. We wanted to find the agents who were selling hundreds of homes, um, thousand homes, you know, th that type of thing. And so we would go and we'd drive and we, we literally drove from Ohio. And we drove all over the country and we met with some of these guys. And they were incredibly uh, influential on our formidable formation of our real estate business. Um, and again, this was an opportunity for us to be boots on the ground, learning directly from the people that were uh, really successful in the country. And you wouldn't have known who some of these people were because, again, there wasn't this big national, it certainly wasn't a big retail internet, and there certainly wasn't a kind of um, focus on uh, agents being national, um, almost celebrities like it is now. So we drove around, we met these agents, we learned what there was to learn, and then we came home back to Columbus, Ohio, and we had a totally different perspective, totally different perspective to the point where we were in many, uh, we had, I can share with you guys some stories, but we came back with obviously a big head of steam. We had ideas what we were going to do. We knew how we were going to do it. We had listing presentations. We had all kinds of different ideas and things that we were implementing and we did it. In our first full year in real estate, we sold over a hundred homes. And uh, a lot of the things that we learned, we learned from those top producing agents. There, there's overlap with my story, but that's the gist of it. Uh, and then from that, we got introduced to Howard Brenton and all the rest of it. But the, here's the takeaway. We got our butts out of Columbus, Ohio, because we wanted to have exposure to people that truly thought big as a normal course of business. So when you take yourself, if you're, you know, even today, frankly, you know, when Julie and I drove all around the country with Zoe, obviously, we were gone for 60 days. Um, you know, we just got back maybe two, three weeks ago. And when we were driving around, the, the like I always remember, I'm thinking of Boise, uh, you know, and I'm thinking of some places in Iowa that we stopped by. I'm thinking of some places in uh, just Wyoming that we stopped by. All these towns, there was usually like one top producing agent, but that one top producing agent was maybe doing like, if you just look at units opposed to dollar volume, because some of these towns, the average sale price was really high, there are maybe selling 75 homes. You go out to California and then you had a high, someone with a really high sale price that was selling hundreds of homes per year. That's the same way it was when Julie and I sold real estate. And it's because of the environment. So the person who's the top producer in uh, Boise, Idaho, right, who's selling 100 homes per year, that person hasn't gotten exposed really to what it would be like to be in a market where people are truly competitive and the real baseline isn't 100 homes per year. It's like 300 homes per year to be a, a top producer. Let me put this in a coaching perspective. I had a coaching client come to us and she was stuck. Actually, it was her and her son. And they were stuck basically selling about 50. I say stuck, right? So just keep this in mind. Uh, stuck selling 50 houses a year. And she was the absolute rainmaker, unbelievably good salesperson, really brilliant, everything, but never could get past 50 homes per year. And then uh, we have... Uh, 
as we do with a lot of our coaching clients. Uh, we had them do the real estate treasure map, which we give you for free. Just text the word Harris to 47372. And one of the things in the treasure map and one of the things in our book, Harris Rules, that we ask you to do is put up dry erase boards in the wall. And the dry erase boards, you can learn about what those are supposed to be when you download the treasure map or you buy our book. But one of the elements of the board was to write down the word listings at the top and then write down in permanent unerasable marker the number of listings that you're going to sell and the number of listings you're going to have at all times. And so, uh, so there's listings and then there's total number of transactions. I said it wrong, but you guys get the gist. So the total number of listings you have at one time and the total number of uh, transactions. Now, she had dry erase boards already and her dry erase board was really small. I saw a picture of it. The dry erase board was essentially, I mean, you know, big enough that she could, she had to write small on this dry erase board to put up the number, the houses and the addresses and whatnot on the price points of what she sold. The dry erase board that she had went one through, guess what number? And this was for closed transactions, 50. She had created an environment where she walked into her office and her dry erase board said one through 50. And she and her son, we're trying to figure out how she can sell more than 50 houses. I think some of you are now feeling like you know the solution. It was to get a bigger dry erase board and write one through a hundred, right? And that's all it took. It was that simple because her environment was reflective of a uh, essentially work conditions, environments, and thoughts that were conducive that were able to have her sell consistently 50 houses a year. So the activities it took for her to sell 50 houses a year were what she'd been doing, uh, you know, repetitively, what she'd been doing on her schedule. She knew exactly going back to the listing uh, section. She knew she had to have, I don't remember the exact number, but it was like 15 listings at all times in her marketplace. So she and I did a little bit of math and we figured out if she had like 21 listings at all times, right? Her new magic number, again, we talked about this in the real estate treasure map, text the word Harris to 47372. It's magic numbers, number of listings you need at all times to meet or exceed your financial goals and obligations. So if she amped it from say 15 to 21, then the ratios and the numbers and the averages would work in her favor. And sure enough, guess what? She would be selling uh, easily enough houses every single month. Basically, she'd be selling around eight houses a month because half of her listings were selling every month. Eight times 12, you guys can do the math in your head, is basically 100. That was it. And But what happened? What was holding her back? The self-imposed environment where she was essentially working to consistently sell 50 houses. Nothing wrong with that, but she wanted to go to the next level. So isn't that interesting? Sometimes in order for you to essentially um, go to the next level, it is the exposure that you get from a coach or it's the exposure you get from a different market. It's the exposure you get from reading a book or watching something that's inspiring, but really it's all of those things. So one of the best things, and we always suggest this to people, like I have people in my life right now uh, that are part of our EXP group. And I see the brilliance in them way more than they see the brilliance in themselves. And they don't even know they don't see the brilliance in themselves. And their biggest problems are their environment, is their environment. They have never gotten out of their little small town. They have never actually been exposed to other people. It's not because they are intentionally avoiding it or even afraid of it. They just never have done it. They, didn't, they don't realize the importance of getting out of your environment so you can have that exposure, so you can then obviously start uh, loading a new software. Because that's ultimately what this comes down to. And this goes back to the point I made originally with my friend and we were talking about goal setting, right? If all you're doing, told you I'd bounce around, if all you're doing is you're going and you're having a, uh, you're setting goals, then you're deconstructing the goals, reverse engineering them, 
uh, you're using thought patterns and processes and essentially software that you've already used. So that means you're only going to take a mildly evolutionary step in the goals that you accomplish. And the accum accumulation of that over time, there's a compounding effect over time is obviously really good. But why don't you, instead of doing what comes naturally next, why don't you do something that's extraordinary? And one of the easiest ways to trigger that is obviously get past your lack of exposure. So lack of exposure, your environment, uh, your physical environment, your uh, essentially your social environment, that would be your family and your friends. I'm not saying ditch all your family and friends, but I'm just saying be understanding of the fact that if, you know, Julie and I are, you know, you are in a town where everyone lives the same, earns about the same, you know, wears the same clothes from the same stores, eats at the same restaurants, you are not going to have any reinforcement at all ever to doing anything other than continuing to be the same, right? There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, you know, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This message is for people who want to set extraordinarily big goals. This is for people who have had this inner turmoil that they feel like the world's trying to keep them small and they have something inside of them that wants to go to the next level. That's what this message is for. Hopefully those of you who are listening and you might feel a little bit of resistance, you understand that this message just might not be for you right now, but it will be re ready for you when you're ready for it. Just please don't forget any of these things and you can lean back into this podcast. Point number three, <laughs> this one is so incredibly important. And if you've been on this uh, planet for more than five minutes, I think you will have the same sort of um, perspective as we do. Go media free. Oh my gosh. Has the media just become a hornet's nest of garbage? I mean, it is a dumpster fire. <laughs> just, it's insane. Now I should, I have to say, I'm complaining sort of tongue in cheek. Because one of the reasons that podcasts and this podcast in particular has become so popular is because the media is so bad and because people are realizing that the media essentially is all about confirmation bias. Now, let's talk about why the media is so bad. Because when we I'm 51, so when we were growing up, you know, Walter Cronkite and Dan Rather and all these people, you sort of assumed that they had biases. I mean, after all, they're humans. But they absolutely, they did not actually have, you, you, you could trust them, right? They weren't wearing them on their sleeves. Do you guys remember when journalists weren't being valued and paid and frankly retained based on the amount of clicks and attention their articles got? Remember when journalists were able to do their job of journalisming without having to um, worry about, and obviously the content had to be good, obviously it had to be of interest, but it didn't have to be salacious and it didn't have to placate a particular group of people. It, you guys get it. So what's happened as the internet has um, gobbled up, right? All the media outlets have gobbled up the revenue that was going to old media. And old media, in order to compete with new media, is having to essentially become like new media. So that means that they are doing what they're doing. They're picking a side. They're you know laying. Essentially, they're reinforcing the same message, even when it's a bold-faced lie. And this is a continuation of the you know essentially you know, media nowadays. The best move, and I hate to say this, but it is true. And again, I know some of you are going to push back on this. You should just completely cut out of it. You should just check out, opt out, not for me. And then be really careful about who you allow to influence your thoughts. And I do mean cable news. I do need MSNBC. I do mean Fox News. I do mean all of those sources of information are trying to manipulate you. Because the common uh, element in every single news story that's out there is what? Fear. You know, I mentioned this on the podcast the other day, and I think it's very fascinating. I, I actually don't know quite what to make of it. So there was a survey done 
uh, again, you guys can, you know, hit, hit up the Google and, and confirm what I'm telling you is true. But this is very interesting. There was a survey done of Demo self-identified Democrats, self-identified Republicans. And the question was asked of both of them. You know, so these, these survey guys, you know, they have a list of people that, you know, have identified as a Democrat, identified as a Republican. Okay. What are the top three uh, issues, concerns? What are the top three? Maybe the word was threats. I don't know what word they use to the United States. Republicans were saying inflation. Republicans were saying, you know, we're what, 22, 23 trillion dollars in debt inflation. You know, uh, you have the potential terrorism. They were talking about these sort of traditional threats that, you know, I think we all could agree are definitely not favorable. By the way, have you been looking at the price of groceries? Do you guys remember two years ago when Julie and I said, when all this money started coming into the economy, do you remember when we told you inflation was going to follow and were we right? Unfortunately, we were. Uh, everyone, I mean, this is something that's not going to go away. This is essentially a new reset of prices. It's peanut butter is one of those things that people track nationwide to see the cost of it. In some markets, like friends out in California, they're paying upwards to $10 a jar and sometimes more for things like peanut basics. When inflation comes into normal food prices, that's a real problem because jobs and incomes don't keep up with inflation. So you're going to see a real problem occur with people who cannot afford to buy groceries. And when I was growing up, we had, you know, the rich kids had hamburger. We had hamburger helper. This is a true story. We had a lot of you too, right? So Hamburger Helper was basically essentially very popular in the 70s when inflation was really high because your family couldn't buy beef. My family too, right? Red meat, any kind of meat in my family was a very rare thing. But Hamburger Helper, we always had that crap, you know? So what it was basically is you take a little hamburger, like hardly any, you add the Hamburger Helper, and then you got something that was sort of like hamburger and then you sort of treated it like hamburger. And all it was was, you know, who knows what it was? I don't even want to know what it was. That's coming back. All of that stuff's going to come back because people need to feed their families. Inflation is real. So what's the point with, with what I'm trying to tell you guys? The media has essentially uh, become an untrust, untrustworthy source for information and for, and for news. And what's worse is it's it is starting to actually have a very subversive effect on our society, our culture. And no, I did not like these are thoughts that Julie and I suspected were true but confirmed they were true when we were driving around the country for 60 days because we'd go to these different markets. And for the most part, once you talk to people and they, you know, they're not in different country or in different types of, um, uh, oh, I didn't finish my story. So Republicans and Democrats. So the Republicans were, that's what they were worried about. And the Democrats, they said the number one threat were Republicans. And I thought that was incredible. So the number one threat from the Republicans were essentially things like the economy and inflation and things like that. Democrats' number one threat were Republicans. How and So you're talking about essentially 50% of the population sees the other 50% of the population as a threat. They're not a threat. The fi Republicans are not a threat. But why do they think like that? That's the effect of too much media. That's the effect of constantly having essentially just the spiral of negative thoughts that never is ending and you normalize it. You turn on your iPhone, you watch your TV, you listen to your music, you listen to certain uh, you know podcasts maybe. And all your friends, if you live in a community where everyone, and this is a tendency of how it actually works, you live in a community that's surrounded by other people. Like when we were, when Julie and I were, I'll pick an obvious example in San Francisco, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans. But people would have conversations with us that were very uh, left-leaning, like out of the blue. We'd be sitting someplace, having coffee, 
and they would just start talking to us about something, uh, you know, that was a topic that they had just heard on CNN or something. And we would, you know, we're not going to argue with them. I'm certainly not going to take the time and try to tell my perspective. Who cares? I'm in there. I'm basically in their town. I'm just a guest, right? And But it was fascinating to me how they were so comfortable. It was, my takeaway was, so this is how it's nor- people uh, in those types of communities are, it's become normal for them to have these kinds of conversations because everyone else around them also has those same thoughts because they also get the information from the same thing. And guys, you see what happens here is when you're constantly filling your head with the same stuff you and you reinforce it because you live around the people who are doing the same exact thing, you lose control of who you are. You lose control of how you think. You lose control of how to set big goals. You lose control of your future, of your potential. So here's what I'll suggest to all of you. And this is a great exercise, especially over the weekend. Um, again, I, I, every time I say something like this, my mind always fills with when Julie and I did live events and we've told and we said to a group of people and I always have these flashes of these people's expressions in their faces come back at me. And this one in particular, when I suggest what I'm about to suggest, we got so mostly me get so much bad feedback when I say this and I've never understood why, but I'll tell you what I'll suggest to all of you this weekend, go completely media free. Like completely. No, maybe you can listen to a book on tape or whatever, but purge. Listen, you know what? Not even a book on tape. Listen to music, right? Listen to music that doesn't have a lot of subversive verses in it. How about that? And listen to it. And and don't allow your mind to uh, worry about what's happening next or what's happening in the news and what's happening here and happening there. Go completely media free. Now, here's what be the fact for those of you who have the guts to take this on. Here's what will be your experience. You are going to experience real feelings of withdrawal. You're going to have the sensation of worry because you're, you're the part of your brain that has gotten so, dare I say, addicted to the constant feedback or the constant information loop, which essentially is the news. And you cut that off, you're going to start jonesing for, oh my gosh, what's going on? Oh my gosh, what did he say or she say or whatever, whatever, especially in this you know, social networking, Twittering type world where everyone is constantly sharing their ideas and their opinions, unqualified or not. You know, if you're on Twitter and you're constantly, you, you post something up or you, you, you know, you like somebody or you leave a comment, your brain is thinking, oh my gosh, did that, are they going to like it? Are they going to put a little heart by it? Are they going to unheart it and not love me anymore? You know, are they going to put a comment as, see how your brain has being rewired uh, and you think it's just innocuous. It is not. It is ruining your potential. So the first thing all of you absolutely positively should consider doing is go media free. If you were a personal coaching client, I would insist upon it, but I am not. So I can only give you this prescription for some mental, emotional freedom. I can only suggest it to you. So that is to be completely media free. Give yourself the weekend. And you will feel yourself going through stages of withdrawal. You will feel yourself feeling anxious. You might turn, you might start sniping at people or getting mad at people because you can't get your fix. I'm telling you guys, it's real. Which same, you know, if you try to get off caffeine or anything like that, you're going to go through similar physiological effects. And when you see yourself, if you take on this challenge, if you see yourself, feel yourself, Going through the physiological withdrawal feelings. You're feeling anxious. Maybe you overeat. You know, maybe you're not as nice to your dog as you should have been. Whatever, right? I mean, all the 
It's withdrawal. It's your psychology, your physiology wanting that media fix. You need to be observant of that and realize what Coach Tim told you, you're addicted. Now, if you have the guts to go through all the state, all the withdrawal, right? It doesn't take that long, maybe a week. On the other side of that, you're going to feel this bizarre sense of, I don't know, happiness. You'll feel enlightened, not enlightened in the spiritual sense, but enlightened in the sense that all of a sudden, this sort of malaise and this dark cloud that was already part of your life called the media, everyone telling you you're supposed to worry about what's around the corner, it's all gone. It's not there. You're all of a sudden free of all those thoughts, and this is what happens. Please listen to what I'm saying. This is the reason Julie and I don't watch the news. Is on the other side of that, you're going to all of a sudden start being more present. You're all the, and I, and this sounds weird, but it's true. You're all of a sudden going to appreciate the conversations you're having with people, appreciate um, and love your family in a different way because you don't have that sense of loathing and anxiety because you've removed it from your life. What I'm telling you guys is absolutely true. You should take the risk, no risk, but you should take the risk and you should try that. Go media free. And then what happens? You then start feeling more alive. You start feeling more engaged and your brain actually, and you're going to actually then start thinking bigger because you're going to say, damn it, that Harris dude was right. That garbage that I was constantly reinforcing my brain with really was killing my potential. And now that I've got it out of my life, now that it's gone, now that I'm starting to feel like maybe I didn't even know I could feel anymore, or maybe I've never felt before, then you're going to start realizing what an incredible gift this life is. Then you're going to start realizing all the potential that you have, no matter how old you are, no matter what your education background is, no matter what, you know, and we're going to talk about that on a future show. A lot of the excuses people make for not actually thinking bigger, right? You know, I'm too old. I'm too fat. I'm too young. I'm too dumb. I'm too smart. You know, all kinds of things, especially in real estate. I'll tell you guys, this is kind of funny. The people that are often the hardest to get to do anything are the ones with the fanciest educations, the ones with the fanciest degrees. The ones that have master's degrees and PhDs, all of that because they're embarrassed that they're in real estate. True. So you'll see oftentimes those are now when they get it, they're fantastic, right? When they get it, they're incredible. They become some of the best clients, but oftentimes their sense of failure for having to do something that required nothing more than a high school degree. And they have all these fancy degrees is killing their success. In other words, they think they're too smart for it. They're not in alignment with their highest and truest purpose, which is being of uh, service to other people. You know, they feel like their fancy education and all the effort and the work that they put into it was essentially not really not. I'm not going to say not worth it, but it didn't deliver what they were promised. And they have to go through that sort of grieving and letting go process. And then they see their education in a different light. Right. They don't. It, it changes. But if they can't cross that particular bridge, now, same thing true. If you don't, if all you have is a high school, you barely have a high school degree, right? And you think everyone's smarter than you. And you carry around this, you know, sense that you're just dumb. Everyone's smarter. Everyone knows you're dumb. You know, isn't that what you tell yourself, some of you? Well, guess what? Nobody thinks like, nobody's, that's not how it really works. Uh, your high school degree, even if you barely got out of high school, you got a college degree, you got a, you know, maybe in your state, you had to have an associate's degree to get your real estate license. You've got your real estate license. You can hit hard reset on your life, no matter what your previous education was, no matter how good of a student you were. When you get your real estate license, 
no matter what age you are, why don't you think about that as your, and it doesn't matter, did you get your real estate license yesterday? Did you get your license 10 years ago? That's your, and you can use this right now, I'm about to say for right now, right? This is your time to restart. This is your time to start thinking bigger and start, stop taking these little incremental steps and start thinking like Elon Musk, right? You know, Julie and I are big Elon Musk fans. We're hoping he gets Starlink working in Puerto Rico because our internet connection where we are is no bueno. But Elon Musk, look at all the things that he's created. We talked about Tesla. Before he actually started creating cars, he created the national power grid. And by the way, the things all over the country, Julie and I saw places where you could charge your Tesla. It was We took pictures and put them on Instagram. We would go to these little towns and these little towns were looking, they looked like movie sets. I mean, it looked like you were filming a movie from something from like the 17 or 1800s or something dusty, like where are the horses and I can't believe this road's paved kind of thing. But sure enough, off in the corner in a gas station parking lot or something, there'd be like 10 Tesla you know, power stations. That is incredible. He built those before he started building cars in mass. He actually caused the automotive industry to move its uh, and it, it jump. He sometimes people say it jumping a shark. I don't know how to express it other than this. But what he did is his thinking, his thinking truly big, caused the entire automotive industry, all transportation on planet Earth, to not jump forward incrementally by one year or two years, so like hybrids, right? Those are just incremental improvements. Okay, we're gonna, you know, it's still gas powered, but we're gonna put a little battery thing in there, and you're gonna get like 30 miles on it. Nope, he didn't say that's not good enough. I want to make it so that we are not where we should be next. I want to make it so we're where we should be five years from now, 10 years from now. Everyone said he would fail. Everyone said he wouldn't do it. How the hell is everyone going to, no one's going to buy an electric car, batteries, no range. You can't charge them, range anxiety, whatever, whatever. He built the charge station, kept his head down. People started saying, well, where are these things popping all, all you know, like a, uh, rabbits all over the, you know, in spring, all over the country, charge stations. Well, there's no, there's no electric cars. These things are just sitting. Then the electric cars came. Then people said, well, the battery technology is still not good enough. And he just kept his head down. He owns a big battery manufacturing facility in Nevada. Guess what he's doing? He's making next generation batteries. He doesn't talk about what he's going to do next, guys. He just does it. Occasionally, you know, he'll mention something that he's working on, but he just does it. He's not sharing his goals with other people. Remember, that was point number one, basically. He's not broadcasting what he's creating next. He's not doing that because he doesn't want to give his competitors an insight as to what he's creating. He's not doing that because he doesn't want to deal with all the BS of all the people saying he can't do it. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? It's fascinating. And he fails. Oh, my gosh, does he fail. You guys remember when he um, rolled out on stage the, uh, what was it, the Tesla truck? And the bullet resistant metal and the bullet resistant or in the, uh, you know, shatterproof glass and the whole thing. And he goes up on stage and he hits the, you know, uh, side glass with a bat. And what happens? Glass breaks. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen. Well, it turns out that, you know, the story goes that that same piece of glass, because they were testing it in preparation for the big demo, had been beat upon by a whole bunch of people behind stage. And there was already cracks, you know, that were forming. Um, but long story short. That didn't slow him down. He's building vehicles that are going to be able to withstand a small arms impact. He's not doing it for the sake of like he's thinking that the future is going to be people, you know, zombie attacks and having to do some sort of road warrior routine. The reason you want a glass that's stronger is because it lasts longer and it's safer, right? And the vehicle lasts longer. That's the reason he's creating it. He's not creating it because he actually has this vision of the future where people are going to be shooting at each other. But that's how the press handled it.
That's how people, you know, so if he's reading these things, if he's believing these things, if when you say what your goal isn't to just sell 50 houses next year, you want to sell 100, you want to sell 70, you know, you want to sell 75, maybe 100, 175, right? And the reason you're doing that isn't because you just want to buy a bigger house three streets over. But the reason you're doing that is because, you know what? You want to build a hospital. Or maybe you want to do something that is really extraordinary that only you know in your heart. Maybe that's the type of energy and motivation it's going to take for you to go to the next level. Not just the level that's naturally after the level that you're on now, but the level that's 10 steps above that. And I'm going to get to the next point on um, Monday. But the power of thinking like this and then starting to prune the influence that other people and other things are allowed to have on you. Remember, don't share it with anybody. Everyone's going to poop on your goals, basically. Go media free. So the first thing you got to do is you got to start. You have to start removing things. They're going to have a negative influence on how you think, how you feel. And now on Monday, we're going to get into more specific things and how you can go then about, uh, like, for example, now here's, I'll give you a homework assignment. Number one was go media free. You got to do it. You're really not going to get too far with setting any goals if you are addicted to the media because the media is putting you into a physiological, psychological state that is not conducive to doing anything other than creating more fear and loathing, evidently, from the sake of the uh, Democrats that were surveyed where they say 50%, where they said you know their number one concern for the country was Republicans. They don't, if you were talking to them one-on-one -on -one about that, if they had gone, you know, followed the advice here and gone media-free for a week, right? Media-free for a week, maybe two weeks, maybe a month, and you'd ask them that question, no way they would answer it the same way, right? But they are convincing themselves of something that isn't probably true, and so are you. And those thoughts, those negative thoughts are self-reinforcing, confirmation bias. And you can, your big thinking, let alone big goal accomplishing, the life that you absolutely positively can experience is never going to manifest, never going to happen if your thoughts and your brain are full of all this negative crap that just gets reinforced from the media. That is one of the most important things you can do. It's just, you know, you want to, it's, it's basically like starting to remove all kinds of garbage from your diet, right? You're going to start eating healthier. You're going to start, you know, people go through those phases sometimes and then they go back to it. But some of you, you guys live that life. You're very careful on watching your carbs and you're very careful of not eating any manufactured foods and you're looking at the ingredients and that's become a lifestyle. And yet you still will allow all this garbage to come into your eyes, your ears and your heart from the media. Why don't you actually take your desire to live a clean life to the next level and really purge the media? And then, by the way, if enough of us do that, then you're going to start seeing a change in how we actually see each other, treat each other, and then the politicians are going to have to mirror our expectation for them based on how all of us have not just evolved, but how all of us collectively have jumped five years into the future where we're not, you know, mentally at each other's throats, evidently based on that survey. But these are all really important things if you really want to start thinking bigger. So on uh, Monday, we're going to talk about, what are we going to talk about? We're going to start, talk about uh, setting goals. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about how you can essentially be a goal achiever opposed to a goal setter. We're going to talk about a lot of the obstacles to setting goals. Um, and really a lot of it, I've set the stage for the first few points that I gave you guys. So listen, I had fun presenting this to you today. Um, this is one of those topics that 
we, Julie and I try to take, when we're doing a mindset type thing like this, one of the things we really are careful of is we want to avoid the woo-woo. The woo-woo also will cause you to be stuck. A woo-woo thought is something that's not practical or tactical or actionable. So that would be like junk food if you want to compare that to, uh, to you know, something you're going to consume. Um, so woo-woo is what we avoid. That's the reason that we're giving you specific action items and really drilling down. So do take this information and please do apply it. And uh, thank you for continuing to make this the number one daily listen to podcast for real estate agents in the nation. And as I said yesterday, I really do sincerely appreciate all of you around the world now that are listening to our podcast on a regular basis. We do recognize and appreciate that a lot of our foreign listeners are forward deployed um, military professionals. And uh, we are going to be doing something very special when we relaunch um, all of our products here in the next probably 30 days or less for all of you in the military. And, uh, you know, again, thank you for continuing to make this number one listen to daily podcast. If you guys are looking for added homework and you're looking for something to replace your media with, do consider picking up Harris Rules. It's probably going to be the number one uh, essentially real estate success book ever written. It, the number of reorders and sales that are happening at all the major bookstores and certainly on Amazon is pretty extraordinary. Almost 500 five-star reviews on Amazon. I mean, it's amazing. It, whenever Julie and I aren't feeling really motivated, we just hop over to Amazon and read the reviews. I, I mean, we do. That's what makes us feel really, really good when we need that little boost. That and some caffeine, right? I mean, let's just be honest. So in the meantime, if you guys want to talk to Julie and I about partnering with us at eXp, if you're on the path to become an eXp agent, eXp Realty agent, and you're looking for a sponsor that's going to be active in your success at eXp, we would certainly appreciate the honor to earn the right to be your sponsor. And you can just text me directly at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. If you'd like to do a little bit more ex exploration about eXp, you can just text the letters eXp to 47372, text letters EXP to 47372. And when you do, we'll text you back um, a link to a website that we created that answers all your questions, not just about EXP, but why you uh, might consider having Julie and I be your sponsors at EXP. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day and we'll talk with you on the show on Monday. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.